0: I'm supposed to act like they aren't here. Assuming there's a they at all. It may just be my imagination. Whatever it is that's watching, it's not human. Unlike little dark-eyed Donna, it doesn't ever blink. What does a scanner see? Into the head? Down into the heart? Does it see into me, into us, clearly or darkly? I hope it sees clearly because I can't any longer see into myself, I see only Mark. I hope for everyone's sake the scanners do better because if the scanner sees only darkly the way I do then I'm cursed and cursed again and will only wind up dead this way. Knowing very little, I'm getting that little fragment wrong, too.
1: Hi, I'm Mike. I'm Dan. Welcome back for another episode of 15-Minute Film Fanatics. This one is another Dan pick. 2006's A Scanner Darkly, directed by Richard Linklater and starring Keanu Reeves, Winona Ryder, Robert Downey Jr., Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson, who who just shows up like a quarter of the way through the movie, but it's so good.
2: Another another person in our series of people who don't really know they're in a movie, but this is based upon uh, the Philip K. Dick novel, which from 1977, which I've read and you've read too, right? You've read this book. Oh, yeah. So, you know, here's, here's, I want to just start with an opening shot across the the, the crowd here. Everybody talks about, I've, I've probably read about maybe five or seven Philip K. Dick books, maybe more than that, right? I think he's a great, I think he comes up with great premises and great ideas for books. But when you're turning the pages, they're not, they're not necessarily like great books, if that makes any sense.
1: No, they're bad. I mean, do <laughs> Android stream of electronic cheap? Page by page is bad yeah. But then you read it And you think about it And it's much more fun To yes, think about Than much it more is to read
2: about. Here's my opening shot This movie is so much better Than Blade Runner In every way A movie can be better And I know that there's you, You've you called it Like the, what is it The, 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 the worst I, best movie the, On a the, previous podcast The best
1: Yeah. No, it's It's the the worst worst, good movie. movie. The worst
2: good movie. The best bad movie is Gladiator. Right. So, but um, I think this captures Philip K. Dick's overall sense of like his paranoia and and shifting identities and all these issues that come up in a lot of his books. I think this movie nails it. And I think it does it in such an unbelievably great way. What did you think of it overall?
1: I actually thought it was a very faithful adaptation of the novel overall. And I think, you know, that this is Philip K. Dick's best book and that this is I think one of the best adaptations of any of his books into a movie because it doesn't necessarily begin with the, be- with the main character, right? It begins with right. Freck freaking out and scratching himself and trying to wash the dog, right? It, the, the ability to introduce the themes of the film as a whole, but in a way that doesn't necessarily introduce all the themes that you want uh, want to unravel right away. It's a very patient way to, to start a book or a movie, which Very uncharacteristic for Philip K. Dick, but very good for Richard Linklater
2: yes very good and we we have to talk in the beginning you cannot talk about this movie without talking about the rotoscope yeah so if somebody said to me you know what is this like you know i wouldn't want to say it's animated or it's a cartoon because it's not now rotoscope as you probably know is when you paint over the frames Mm -hmm. to get a more realistic sense of motion or movement and you certainly get that like and they all you know robert downey jr looks and acts and talks like robert downey jr like all these scenes are filmed and then you go through the whole process again of painting them frame by frame so i have a theory in this but like what do you think now richard linklater had done this already in a a previous film but why do you think that works here in a scanner darkly
1: okay you you're the screenwriter and you're sitting in front of your screenplay and in the first section he's got a a guy's covered in imaginary bugs and he also believes that his dog is covered in imaginary bugs so you can handle that one of two ways, right. Um, suddenly looking over at Robert Downey Jr., he turns into an enormous beetle. And yes. then looking over at Woody Harrelson, he turns into an enormous cockroach. And it's like, it's that's got to be okay, um, you know, in, in such a way that you don't have to rely on essentially a special effect. And what makes a special effect special is that it's not like the rest of the effects in the movie. And so you can kind of see them shrug and go, well, the hell with it, then we'll make the whole movie like that.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because it could, you know, you could have imagined somebody saying they could have done Robert Downey Jr. as a Beatle, very with perfect CGI. I mean, they made him fly around as Iron Man. So uh, after this movie came out, so they could have done but it's so much better this way, because the whole thing is so trippy, like you get into Bob Arctor's mind, and how he sees the world. And uh, you know and also it makes like the like how great are the scramble suits we'll talk about that but i love the way the scramble suits look and with the rotoscope you can just have them constantly constantly look that way and, and all the f- identities blend into each other which is of course a theme of the movie
1: right and it's something that's easy to do over the page there's a lot of things in this book that are easy to do over the page right because when you go into a fantastical sequence in a novel it's written with the same 26 letters and same yeah. punctuation right and so there's a sense of continuous reality so essentially you have to have the same gimmick translate to the screen which is you have to use the same alphabet the whole time such that you can't tell the difference between reality and fantasy
2: yeah and this uses that the rotoscope is that alphabet so when he leans over after he um sleeps with Connie and he leans over and all of a sudden he thinks it's one a rider for a second he's like oh my god like like you're like well it, it, like, is, is that just because he's, he's hallucinating? It's, are his hemispheres getting more and more separate, which they are? You know, like, it's a great thing that, but since you're in the rotoscope world, you're kind of used to seeing everything start to shift around and all the colors start to move.
1: Although I will tell you my absolute favorite gimmick where this comes in handy is when a uh, freck thinks he's in the afterlife and his sins are going to be read to him <laughs> yes. uh, for all of eternity and it takes them uh thousands of hours to even get up to the sixth grade and and the like the weird demon face with the eyes his eyeballs that's the best you know what i mean you could yeah. do it you could do it cheesy with makeup if you're not using rotoscope but the rotoscope absolutely made that scene
2: all right let's talk about our favorite moments in part two So welcome back. In part two, we talk about our favorite moments. There's so many good moments in this film. Mike, what's one of yours?
1: My moment is right after they narrowly avoid the car accident and they, they pull over to discuss what's going on. And, and of course, everybody's perfectly in, in character, right? Yep. So Bob is trying to problem solve and uh, Robert Downey Jr. is acting like everything is totally fine and he's got it all in control. And I, I actually have the tools that will fix it, but of course- they're, Back at the house. They're back at the house. Uh, but Woody Harrelson just totally freaks out. Um, and it's his only paranoid rant in the movie that has a real causation. You know, there's, there's reason, like we have reason to be uneasy. Right. So he's, he's freaking out. Um, and I just, even in rotoscope, that guy can act. I don't yeah. know what his, I don't know what his deal is. I don't know what makes him so magnetic on the screen, but absolutely. Uh, that's my favorite paranoid rant uh, in, in any movie. And I just think that until he uh, he almost chokes to death later, um, that's that's his that's his best scene and the best exploration of paranoia in general, because everybody's talking like it's uh, waiting for Godot and they're talking past one another. No, nobody can communicate with one another. And so it's a perfect on screen moment where everybody is simultaneously they're, they're together. They're literally either inside or outside of the car. Uh, but nobody's in the same space with one another and nobody can communicate into one another's head. So you're parano- you're paranoid and you're isolated, but you're also together because you're all paranoid and isolated
2: <laughs> in the same house. They're, they're alone together. My, my moment is very much like that. It also strikes upon the theme of paranoia. We almost picked the same one. And that's when Robert Downey Jr. comes back and he's all excited because he bought the bike for $50 and they're all talking about it and they keep counting the gears and they keep getting the number wrong. And he says, okay, we have to go outside and get an independent observer. You know, he says, we're too close to it. And that, and that um, you know, he and Woody Harrelson are like, like these stoner Abbott and Costello comic relief characters to the more serious theme of what's going on with Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder right so I think what's interesting is there is that we laugh at them but in some ways you know Barris that's the name of, of Robert Downey Jr's character is right so he's an in all-in for himself he's he wants Woody Harrelson to die he doesn't really hurry up and call nine one one, and Keanu Reeves figures that out but overall Robert Downey Jr who is um in it for himself. I love how he goes to the cops. I would like an employment application. I really came here. He makes up the fake tape of Winona Ryder and, and Keanu Reeve, but he's right. He's right about he's wrong about this minor silly things about the bicycle, but he's but he's right about the big thing, which is that new path is creating the drug and making addicts. So we can sell recovery. He says that the Freck in the first scene. They give it to the public in this nice tight up package with a bow. And he's he's 100 percent right. Later he says in the movie, you know, there's a lot about Bob Arctor you don't know. Now he doesn't know that that he's really a, a a narc. And he says, Well, there are female narcs, he has no idea about Winona Ryder, rider, but he he he's on to something. So when the street guy came out there, which by the way, how creepy is it that it's played by Alex Jones? So when he comes by, he's like, We're not supposed to live like that, and the cops come and take him away, like. The Robert Downey Jr. character is onto something and that it's easy to laugh at him, but th- that sense of paranoia is is over every single frame.
1: Yeah. And and it's very much like paranoia in a dream because you know you know why you're scared, but you can't grasp right. at the details. And that's um, by the way, also in rotoscope, Robert Downey Jr. is just still Robert Downey Jr. He's like I, I feel like there's no way he would make this movie now because he was still kind of on that. Yeah. That path to on-screen recovery, but uh, it's such a shame because he's he also is totally magnetic. Everything that he, all the little things that he does, from um, dropping the phone the yep. first time um, to uh, uh, talking about dessert, um, yeah, it, it's just, it's just all, all great. When he goes
2: to get the hammered, he's gonna have the fight with with Woody Harrelson, and he has, and he hits the Woody, he, Woody he, Harrelson has, the, has rock. the rock has the rock. But I mean, think about that, like um, you know. You know, um, when, when Robert Downey Jr. says, well, I did something, I did something, they'll have a surprise when they get back. And Keanu Reeves is like, what did you do? I left a note on the door, it said, come on in. And then he gets back and they go to watch the movie and he's like, he didn't record, did you? And he says, well, perhaps the tow truck drivers were able to signal an operative to get here and release it. So it's it, it, it's, it's silly, but it's only one degree away from what Bob Arctor has to do by watching the scanner Which is watching the and
1: surveillance tape. Yeah, and, over um, and over and over. My favorite though is uh, I have perfected the silencer.
0: Yeah, <laughs> bang!
1: And he says it seems to have augmented the sound rather than muffled it. Hi, welcome back. So, of course, now we like to talk about the ending uh, or the title or the key takeaways. Dan, I have no idea what you have for me here, but your face tells me it's something.
2: Like Ishmael says, "Give me a condor's quill, because I have I have such majestic things to say about this. This movie is to identity what what." Primer is to time travel. This movie really takes an idea and really pushes it without a lot of effects. I mean, forget about the rotoscope, but the same way that Primer does. Primer is the all-time best. We should do that. That's the all-time best time travel movie. This is the all-time best movie about shifting identities, right? It also reminded me the first time I, I watched it twice, the first time I watched it, it kept reminding me. I'm like, this reminds me so much of a movie we've done. And I couldn't put my finger on it. And I'm like, why can't, and then all of a sudden it just hit me. I'm like, oh my God, you know what movie this is? It's the departed. This movie is just like the departed. Right. So let's talk about that. You have, right. You have these people like in seemingly higher moral authority, like the top brass, right. They select somebody to go in so deep into the into the bad guy organization that he struggles to keep everything straight. So Bob Arctor is like he left his wife and his kids and stuff, and he's going to be a good cop and he's going to be Fred the cop and go in there. It's just like Teddy, the Leonardo DiCaprio mm-hmm. character in The Departed, right? Um, but then, like you know, they think they can manage. They think they can manage shifting their identities, and they can't. And at the end, the way it's like The Departed is, we see the cost of the operation. Right. So at the end, we find out the big surprise about Winona Ryder and she's really Hank, you know, Bob's boss. She's at the burger place with Mike, who's also working at New Path, but he can't get in. Right. And, and she says, we're colder than they are. You know, we're worse than the bad guys are. And he says, no, no, no. You have to have faith that this is going to make the future better. And she feels bad for, for Bob Arker, Right. Now, remember what happens to Teddy? Like what happens to Leonardo DiCaprio in The Departed? He gets shot. He gets shot. He gets killed, right? So he gets Jack Nicholson. Okay, but was it worth it? There's hope at the end of the movie that Bob's friends will see the blue flower at Thanksgiving and they'll be able to prove that New Path is both the producer of the drug and its rehab agent. But I think the idea is you look at the human cost. Like we don't feel good that Teddy died to get Jack Nicholson. We don't say at the end of the departed, well, now Boston is a lot better. Boston's a lot, he's cleaned up because Teddy's, you know, Teddy got Jack Nicholson. And we don't feel good that, that Keanu Reeves becomes a vegetable to help defeat New Path. So it's kind of like, you know, it's like the spy who came in from the cold. It's like The Departed. It's part, you know, John le Carré, part Philip K. Dick. And I think that it's, it does a great job of showing you the human cost of these operations.
1: Yeah. I, um, I think that it ends, especially for a Philip K. Dick adaptation, the, the cleanest that, that any of his works end, right? Because it, it's one of the only things that I think he ever produced or adaptations of anything that he ever produced, which is really more about itself than it's about its ideas. It's about, it, it contains interesting ideas. It revolves around interesting uh, ideas. Uh, but it it works on the level of the story. And also, uh, I think you need Keanu Reeves to to pull that off. I've I've almost never said in my life that a movie needs Keanu Reeves, but somehow Bob Arctor can only be played by Keanu Reeves.
2: He's great. He's great. And, le- and let's let's push this even more at the end when he's just repeating things like my name is Bruce, this is where I'll sleep, I see the mountains. Um, we could talk about the title. We always talk about the titles, right? So now we have a great title, right? So Mike tells tells um donna the winona rider character at the end he says although our eyes although our eyes can't perceive it the whole process is hidden beneath the surface of our reality it'll only be revealed later now you know of course where the title comes from right the king james bible right right for now we see but through a glass darkly but it, it i what i love about this movie is that you know, again, is the life of Bob Arctor worth it if he saves millions of people from Substance D? You might say, well, yeah, like, I'm not saying yes or no, but you can work out that calculus. You can kind of figure that out, right? But you can't see it at the time. Like Winona Ryder, she can't see. And he's like, no, you have to be able to see through the scanner darkly. You have to be able to, like, you don't see it now because you're too fixated on Bob as a guy because you were too close to him. But in the grand scheme of things, it'll be worth it. And I don't think the movie answers that question, which is why I think it's so good at the end. Well,
1: I think... The other unanswered question, right, is, is about the possibility of surveillance, which is what Bob is thinking and also what Fred the cop is thinking, right? Because ultimately what's going on is these these poor suckers don't even know that they're being watched, but there's a great electronic eye that's on them all the time. And the question is, if you could keep the great electronic eye on all the time, would the electronic eye see more than me? Right. Would it have a comprehensive vision that would tell me who I am, who he is, where I stop, where he begins? Right. Is there is there actually some kind of truth apart from the truth of my perception and could it be captured on camera? And the answer is very unclear, because if the answer is yes, then everybody's paranoia is justified because there's there's no subjective privacy left. But if the answer is no, then nobody knows what's going on and we're all lost all the time. So it's like, it's a wistful, you you could, you could wish that the electronic eye could see everything because at least there would be the truth somewhere. And if it's totally lost, then we're all totally lost. And so that's like the other part of the scanner darkly. Not, I think not just about the future, but about at least somebody would know what's going on, right? That's actually what I think stands behind uh, everybody's conspiracy theories right? It's like, I'm not in control. I could wish that somebody were in control because if there's not a grand conspiracy theory, then nobody's in control of everything, including the truth.
2: Nobody knows anything. Right. And that's funny. So you're saying that that's true for every conspiracy theory from like JFK to area 51.
1: Yeah. It's a, I feel, I feel powerless, but I, it makes me feel even more powerless to think that everybody's powerless. And I, it, right. And from the Bob Arctor point of view, it's like, I know nothing. I have no idea what's going on. But maybe these recording devices know what's going on. But if they don't know what's going on, then it's hopeless.
2: And that's great because early in the film, remember, there's that one part where Robert Downey Jr. says he can go to the store and get the ingredients to make cocaine. And remember, remember what happens in the film, how it gets sped up. Like, a, like an old-fashioned VCR. And all of a sudden, you're like, what's going on? Is, and then you realize, oh, no, this is the scanner tape. Like, mm-hmm. this is somebody watching him. But it's not explained in the... It kind of takes you out of the movie for a second, but in a, in a beautiful way. Then you realize, oh, this whole movie is you're watching through the scanner. Now, let me, let me build on to that, what you said, too, about time, which is that at the end, when you watch the film again, you see things, it's a little less dark. So the first time through the movie, you don't really understand why Winona Ryder will never... Um, given to his advances. He keeps trying to get physical with her. She keeps saying no, right? But at the end of the film, we understand, because we see a little more, that that's because she's his boss. That's why she can't sleep with him. And, and, you know, the beginning, Barris is a figure of fun. At the end, his new Pad stuff is true. So it reminded me at the end, when um. When the psychologist says to Bob, Why don't you take her a little blue flower? and you realize that they're all in on it too, like everybody's new path is in on everything. It was like the um, you know what this reminded me of? It was like Rorschach's journal in Watchmen. So, at the, remember at the end of Watchmen, mm-hmm. he writes his whole journal, he writes the whole truth of what happened with, with the fake monster and Vite and the whole plant. Do you remember what where his journal ends up? I don't know if you remember this or not. Yeah, from reading, I know you've read it. Um, it goes to like that, like that, um, that, uh the the right wing um like newsletter guy and he says we'll just publish it and the fat kid drops ketchup on it and uh so the truth is there it's right there like Rorschach wrote it all down you could read it and find out what happened with the alien and all this stuff but like no one's going to take it seriously no one's going to read it so
1: yeah it it there's just so much noise right because the the other the other thing is you know fred the cop is in front of the console where he's supposed to be surveilling everybody. And then behind him, he's in the hall of consoles. Yeah, right? right. So it's like, why can he sit there and take drugs uh, and watch the video and like and mess with the tape? Cause everybody else is sitting there taking drugs and messing with the tape.
2: Yeah. And I love how they're in that. It's not even some high class, cool looking Star Trek tech room, like the 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 insulations coming out of the ceiling and there's just like bad extension cords everywhere.
1: It's a great touch.
2: Yeah, it's a great touch and it's a great film. So thanks for listening to our conversation about Scanner Darkly. We hope you enjoyed it. Follow us on Twitter at 15 Film and also follow us on Letterboxd. So we'll see you there and watch out for those scanners. They're watching you.